0: It's Timothy Trimble returning back for my second podcast episode. Uh, After my first introductory one, which was a short, I think, what, four minutes maybe? (laughs) Just introducing who I am and then I'm going to be doing these podcasts. But uh, this time, a little more serious, diving in. And whoever says that uh, putting a podcast together is easy... Don't listen to them because it's it's not really that easy. Basically, uh, re-recording multiple times, trying to get it right. Uh, things happen in the background, so then you gotta uh, stop recording, uh, trim it down, uh, re-record, and continue on. So, a process that I thought was going to be uh, pretty straightforward and have it done within a few days of my last podcast. Well, now it's been over two weeks, <laughs> so here we are. So, what's the purpose of this podcast? It's uh, to introduce myself as a author, writer, a computer geek, and somebody that likes to do public speaking and uh, teaching as well, and just basically getting my stories out there to you, the general public, and, and just show my appreciation for all the love and support that you all have been showing for my writing and the stories that i've been telling so i'm uh, located in the pacific northwest where today it's kind of drizzly overcast but uh, the last few days have been just absolutely stunningly beautiful and that's just the way it is up here some days are great other days um, just a little gray but that's fine because that's perfect Weather for writing, digging in and getting the story told. So about this book, uh, Airborne, uh, the Airborne story started as a short story being submitted to the Edmonds Write on the Sound Writers Conference one year. It was actually about four years ago. And the short story was called Love is in the Air. And it takes a concept, something that I have always dreamed about ever since I was a kid, and that is having the ability to fly, and that's why the title for the book is Airborne, Do You Dream of Flying? So the short story basically was about a young man who was hovering in the clouds uh, one night outside of Mount Rainier, which is located up here, and off in a distance, he saw a blonde-haired girl floating in the clouds and he was like wow who is this and trying to get up the nerve to approach her and go talk with her but she disappears and basically the whole of the story is him searching for her and I'm not going to give away the ending if you want to see that uh, you need to go get my book (laughs) I'll be truthful with you So you'll find the story in the back of the book in its uh, rough entirety of 1,500 words. <laughs> so Airborne um, was outlined four years ago. After I had submitted the short story to the Writers' Conference, I sent a copy to my editor who was currently working on my Zegan's Adventures in Epsilon book at the time. And she said I had to stop everything I was doing and turn this into a novel. So I was uh, floored, (laughs) basically, to say. Because she's not easy. She's not an easy editor. She's pretty much a stickler. And when she says something like that, it's pretty serious. And uh, it just indicated to me that I had something really good here. So that's what I did. Outlined the book. Uh, I did finish Zegan's Adventures first. And then I started working on the outline for Airborne. Uh, Took some time putting that together and writing it. And here we are. It's been over four years. Uh, The book has been out for over a year and has been doing well. I'm not independently wealthy off of it, but the reviews have been just amazing. Getting an average of 4.9 stars on Amazon and the feedback I've received from you the readers uh, has floored me as well Uh, the book selfie pictures are amazing the comments and the reviews have been amazing and I'm really pleased and happy that uh, the readers are enjoying this story as much as I enjoyed telling it and currently I'm working on the sequel which is called Airstorm and just finished putting the wrapper on Chapter 6, which will be going out to my beta readers uh, sometime this week. So it's progressing, and it's fully, completely outlined. I know how it's going to end. (laughs) So looking forward to getting more writing done on that. But for now, you guys are all waiting for a a reading from Airborne. So basically, I'm going to start with the uh, excerpt, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, The excerpt is a scene from the book uh, with a couple characters, and it kind of sets the tone and the feel and a little bit of the background of the storyline. So I'm going to go ahead and get started here and read this for you. killed the music there. Here we go. It has to be the 18th. This is how they operate. They could have been watching for years, looking for a routine, waiting for the perfect moment. I suspect they were behind the abduction of her parents as well. Then let's go get her. Take her back from them. They did it to us. We can do it to them. If we do that, it becomes a war. Giorgio stood up and began pacing around the table. If we start a war with them, we expose ourselves. That's just what they want. If we're exposed, they can pick us off, one by one. Come on, Tori. There are billions of normal humans and maybe, just maybe, a couple hundred avatorians. He continued pacing. That would lead to our extinction. This is not the time to expose ourselves. Humanity can hardly get along with themselves. How can we expect them to understand what we are and accept us as part of their society if we're so different? So that was the excerpt for Airborne. Hopefully it whets the appetite, sets the tone a little bit for the story. The book I've dedicated, and I have that in the book, it says, For Sharon and Cassandra for virtually adopting this slightly eccentric writer. (laughs) I'm sure that's probably how they feel about me. (laughs) Uh, Other people would agree. Each chapter of Airborne starts not only with the chapter title but a small introduction that kinda sets the tone and the feeling for what's going to be in the chapter. So the Introduction for Chapter 1 begins with Title, All I Want to Do, In the Intro. We do not write our history for fear it would be discovered. Though we cherish our heritage and the gift we have been blessed with, we are to remain vague when it comes to documenting. There are those who seek to obtain what we have, regardless of the cost. Extinction is what we fear. The loss of our beauty and our sense for peace. Taken from The Guide to Preservation, Author Unknown. The year is 1995. Angela loved the way her hair flowed in the wind as she flew through the pristine and cool night air. All I want to do is have some fun blared on her earbuds attached to the portable cassette player secured around her upper arm. She slowly drifted through the desert canyon air without glancing at the mountain peaks to her right and left. Her knowledge of each turn, nook, and cranny was permanently burned into her 17-year-old subconscious memory. She bobbed her head and silently mouthed the lyrics along with Cheryl. This was, after all, her own personal playground. So what if it happened to be in the middle of Joshua Tree National Park? She had defiantly stated to her older sister, before heading out for the night of flying. It's a secluded canyon. The only people who show up are old L.A. hippies looking for a place to get stoned. If they did manage to see me, they'll think they're just tripping. It's no big deal, she said in defense with one foot out the door. She shut out the discussion with her sister and gazed at the sky. She enjoyed the stars the most. Moonless nights were always the best. Easier to see the millions of pinpoints in the Milky Way and less of a chance of being seen. She slowly came to a stop and hovered on her back while gazing at the stars, wondering if her ancestors came from the heavens or were just another type of the human species. She had asked her Uncle Giorgio during one of his rare visits a few months before. He didn't know, but he told her that he liked to think they came from the stars. Two Avatorians, male and female seeking some place to colonize. Too bad the humans were already here, he would chuckle. He told her they stayed because they saw something intriguing in the humans, compassion, love, and a thirst for knowledge. The few who spoke of peace and hope outshone those who strive for power and riches. This was what kept the Avatorians on earth. Once they made their decision, the ability to return to their homeworld or to seek out another place to colonize had been taken away. How or why? He didn't know. Of course, Giorgio reminded her it was just a story and he was not sure if it was really true or not. Draco the Dragon was directly overhead tonight. She traced the shape of the constellation with her finger down past Ursa Minor toward the body of Ursa Major. She drifted her hand from side to side in rhythm with Cheryl Crow's guitar. She rolled over and glanced at the blackness of the ground. She estimated it was a little over 400 feet to the valley floor below. By dead reckoning, she triangulated the 3,600-foot peak to her right and the 3,700-foot peak on her left. With the subtle light from a million stars, she could make out the course of the dry creek bed running west to east and another one intersecting from the south straight below. It was a popular intersection for weekend campers. But tonight, there was no sign of life below. No campfires, no lanterns, no glow of cigarettes or joints, as campers would find comfort in a drag of unhealthful smoke. She wondered why anyone would smoke. She remembered the lesson from the blackened tissue on display in last year's biology class. Tonight is Wednesday. Bah! I wish I didn't have school tomorrow, she thought. Drifting west, Angela moved past the creek junction below, and the peaks now behind, toward an opening in the canyon. The dry lake bed was completely surrounded by mountains. Three miles long and a mile wide, it was the perfect place for her to hover and soak in the immensity of the night sky. She stopped in her favorite spot and rolled over to face the sky. She really wanted to stay long enough to see the constellation Orion stick its head over the eastern horizon, but that would mean staying up most of the night and risking the brightness of the revealing moon. She would never hear the end of it from her sister if she did. Just a few more minutes and I'll head back. She watched the star Deneb so intently she could sense its movement as it inched across the sky. The clack of Angela's cassette tape player startled her as it clicked off after the last song. She always felt uneasy with even the slightest noise in the middle of such a pristinely quiet night in the desert. Suddenly, she felt unusually warm. Now that's weird. She glanced at the surrounding landmarks and noticed that she was starting to descend. Rolling over to face the dry lake bed, she saw new shadows cast by the starlight in a spot where normally there was nothing but sand. She banked steeply to her right and headed toward the northern cliffs. The warmth was gone and she regained altitude. Her curiosity prompted her to hover feet first and turn, facing the middle of the lake bed. Multiple shadows moved and once again she felt her body get warm. The air around her was still cool but her body itself was feeling warm, almost like a fever. She lost control of her altitude and she again began descending. At the same moment, she was blinded by light from below. Bathed in bright white, she instinctively covered her eyes with her hands, hoping she could get a glimpse between her fingers. She continued descending. She knew if she was forced to go to ground, she would not be able to run as fast as she could fly. She could feel the panic rising in her chest. The adrenaline gave her strength to resist the descent. She turned away from the lights and headed for the canyon as fast as she could. They saw me. Who are they? Why are they here? Questions flooded her mind as she tried to stifle the panic. Forcing herself to focus, she dove toward the canyon entrance in an attempt to gain some needed speed and momentum. I've got to get out of here and get safe. Where was that heat coming from and why did I stop flying? Her mind was racing. She could hear distant shouts and the sound of some kind of vehicle engine firing up behind her. It sounded like a Volkswagen, possibly a dune buggy. She didn't want a chance, looking back to find out. The lights were still shining on her, but they were dimmer as she reached the canyon opening. She skimmed the ground, barely avoiding the snag of the sage and shadowed brush along the valley floor. With the increased speed and momentum, she shot straight into the night sky and out of the beams of the lights. You fools! You friggin' idiots! Get the light back on her now! The woman screamed at the two men as they jumped into the task and slid into the bucket seats of the four-seater sandrail. The woman was crouched in the back, gripping the back of a strange-looking cannon coated with wires and coiled copper wrappings around the barrel. The ribbed balloon tires dug into the sand as the driver gunned the gas. A row of floodlights came on across the top of the roll bar above the driver's head. The man in the passenger seat struggled with the portable spotlight as they raced after the escaping flyer. The woman was knocked back into the seat by the acceleration. She quickly stood up and grabbed the twin grips of the cannon, hanging on with all her might as the vehicle bounced along the dry lake bed. She managed her balance and pressed a button on a microphone clipped to her shoulder. Coming your way! Two clicks over the speaker acknowledged the listener on the other radio received her message. Angela leveled off at 3,600 feet, even with the highest peak off to the north of the canyon wall. She glanced back over her shoulder at the approaching buggy with its bouncing floodlights and a single spotlight beam searching the sky. Her luck was holding. They hadn't locked her in, at least not yet. Her heart was pounding. She thought it would burst. She turned along the edge of the canyon as it gently snaked through an S-shaped curve. I've got to calm down and get my senses. She knew the canyon would straighten out before reaching the creek junction. At least that would give her a vantage point to see the buggy approach. I could go straight up and just get some distance, but it would be easier to see me. I usually go east. This time I'll go south. The old creek climbs into the mountains and I can disappear there. No way they could follow me. She descended toward the creek bed at an angle, building up her momentum. The sand rail reached the canyon entrance bouncing and sliding left as the driver dodged the rocks and Joshua trees. The man with the spotlight scanned the sky as he tried to compensate for the sudden movements of the sand rail. Crank it up to 1500 Matt, the woman stated into the microphone. $1,200 is not enough. She let go of the mic and grabbed the back of the cannon with both hands. Try to get us through that S-turn without flipping us over, she caustically barked at the driver. Angela could hear the roar of the buggy entering the turn of the canyon. The sounds of the engine echoed and reverberated off the canyon walls, making it sound like an army of vehicles. She turned and caught a quick glance of the lights flickering on the mountainsides, casting dancing shadows of sagebrush along the sides of the creek bed. Jackrabbits scattered in terror at the sound of approaching vehicles, and a once-pursuing bobcat turned tail and retreated into the shadows. She doubled back toward the straight section of the dry creek bed, skimming a few feet above the sand as fast as she could. She saw the junction of the southern creek coming up quickly as the light from the approaching buggy caught her during her attempted escape. As she started banking into the turn, she glimpsed another vehicle parked just east of her path, lights beamed from the vehicle, blinding her before she could cover her eyes. Realizing she had been cornered, She reacted instinctively and shot straight up into the air, flying as fast as her heart and adrenaline would permit. Immediately, she felt the heat again. She darted sideways, gaining altitude, trying her best to get out of the heat, but it was still there, following her as she flew. The earbuds from her portable walkman began to bake in her ears. She ripped them out as she jerked the player off her arm, letting it fall away to the ground below. She turned to look at the approaching buggy coming down the straight section of the creek bed. The spotlight from the buggy swung across the sky to meet her. She turned around and saw the converging buggy with lights blaring. She was slowing down and couldn't gather enough strength to continue flying. The heat doubled in intensity and she could feel pain burning in her bones, radiating out into her muscles. She spun around, hoping somehow the maneuver might relieve the pain but without any success. She was losing altitude, falling toward the intersection of the creek bed. The pain was becoming unbearable. She started to freefall, plummeting the remaining distance to the ground. Why are they doing this to me? I'm going to die. Confusion and fear filled her thoughts as she continued to fall like a wounded bird to the ground. Just as she braced for impact, the heat disappeared. She hung there, spinning slowly in the air. Somehow she had managed to stop her descent. She was just feet from the ground and hovering. She felt the spinning slow and stop as both vehicles converged upon her, their lights blaring, making it hard to see the occupants. The seconds she hovered seemed like hours. Her senses were on full overload, her heart pumping rapidly, and she realized she was hyperventilating. She felt on the verge of passing out. Leave me alone! Go away! She screamed as loud as she could. What are they waiting for? She wondered. She looked up and saw the star Deneb flickering in the darkness as if winking at her to tell her everything would be okay. She could hear a woman speaking as the men got out of their vehicles. She started to ascend again, but was instantly hit by the intense heat. Her bones felt like pins of red hot steel melting from the heat. Please stop, she cried out. Curling up in a ball, she closed her eyes and fell to the ground. The sand softened the blow. Although the heat had disappeared, she was too weak and exhausted to fly away. She slowly stretched out, face down in the sand. The coolness of the ground was oddly comforting. She heard footsteps approaching as she tried to roll over, when suddenly she felt a sharp prick to her neck. All she could think of was, Scorpions, as her mind grew fuzzy, and she fell into a fitful sleep. So there you go. That was scene one of chapter one of Airborne do you dream of flying? I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast. Again, this was my second edition, and I do plan on producing some more here in the future. And I know this is a little rough. Volume levels might be a little strange. There might be some background noises going on. (laughs) Like I said, this is is a new thing for me. So I really appreciate uh, you coming by and listening to the podcast and subscribing to the podcast as well, because there will be more. If you're interested in getting airborne, you can find it on Amazon, iBooks with Apple, uh, Barnes and Noble, Kindle Nook. um, And you can go to practically any bookstore and they will have it in their catalog. If you wish to order it, or you can go to my website, timothytrimble.com. You can follow me, uh, On Twitter, at Timothy Trimble. Uh, Facebook is Author Timothy Trimble. And Instagram, Timothy Trimble. Hmm, real original, huh? (laughs) Anyway, thank you for listening. If you're on the Anchor podcasting system, feel free to uh, leave me feedback and let me know what you think of this. And if you have any questions that you would like to have answered about writing, being an author, juggling life while being an author, feel free to give me your questions and I'll be happy to answer those in a future podcasts. So again, thanks for listening. See y'all later. Bye-bye.